0: Good evening, Dan Guera here from Authentic Biochemistry Studios on the 3rd of July, 2021. Last time we did a lecture, we were talking about a transition to mesenchymal cells, so I want to get right back into this. Now, mesenchymal stem cells are, of course, described as multipotent stromal cells, of course, they can differentiate into a variety of cell types, and I'll give you sort of a list of them, osteoblasts, chondrocytes, myocytes, and even adipocytes. So if you think about when you start off with mesenchymal stem cells, they can self-renewal into, after division, into um, more of the same, and they require a series of Uh, transcription factors, and growth factors. So self-renewal from mesenchymal stem cells starts with FGF4 and HBEGF, but also PDGF and TGF-beta, and finally VEGF. Now, if you take those same mesenchymal stem cells, I'll just call them MSCs after that, and you expose them to BMP- 2, 24 or insulin or the wind Signaler 5B, that will be converted to a white ad- pre-adipocyte. Then it, it continued to be in stimulation of BMP24 and insulin finally into a white adipocyte. So that's the end, that's the final uh, termination or differentiation for that cell lineage. Now, if you expose a stem, an MSC to FGF and TGF-beta, you will get a myogenic precursor, of course, and if you expose that cell to BMP7, you'll get a brown pre and if it continues to be exposed to that factor, you'll get a fully mature, terminally differentiated brown adipocyte. Now that myogenic precursor, if it's exposed to FGF and TGF-beta continued, will turn into a myoblast. And then it ultimately will, if it's, if it's exposed to PDGF-BB, Wnt4 and Wnt4-7b, will turn into a skeletal muscle cell. If it's exposed to BMP4, FGF48 and FGF basic protein, it'll turn to cardiac muscle cell lineage. And if it's exposed just to Wnt4-7-beta, it'll be a smooth muscle cell. So uh, there's two more lineages. I'm not going to tell you all the transcription factors and growth factors involved, but that same MSC, <laughs> uh, if it's exposed to um, a complex of transcription factors and growth factors, can also be converted to a condensing mesenchymal stem cell and then after further exposure, can turn into a chondrocyte. And then lastly, taking an MS-seq, exposing it to BMP2, PTH, TGF-beta, and Wint 10 b will give us an osteoblast progenitor. And then if you continue to expose that progenitor to IGF-1, PTH, even vitamin D3 and wint 10 b you'll get a mature osteoblast. So you can see that Once you generate an MSC from an epithelial cell, there are multiple cell fates which can be appropriated. That's the key feature here. So what are some general concepts we can say about EMT? Uh, Cells within a terminally differentiated epithelium can uh, indeed change their phenotype through activation of what we call the EMT program. Again, the epithelial mesenchymal transition program <clears throat> that enables what we call transdifferentiation, and it results in the conversion of the epithelial cell to the mesenchymal derivatives during development all the way through adulthood. Now, those programs can also be activated. Programs of all the transcription factors and growth factors, which I've named quite a few here so far. These programming modules can also be activated in association with tissue repair, and even during certain kinds of pathophysiological stress. And those include creating various types of inflammatory and indeed, unfortunately, high-grade carcinomas. So accordingly, EMTs now constitute a recognized mechanism for the dispersal of cells into embryos, forming ultimately mesenchymal cells, but that can also occur in injured tissues And then finally, there can be an initiation of invasive and metastatic behavior. And these will result then in carcinomas, that is epithelial cancers. The type 1 EMT process associated with implantation and in fact, embryonic gastrulation, and it'll give rise to the mesoderm and the endoderm and to the mobile neurocrest cells. So the primitive epithelium, specifically known as the epiblast, gives rise to primary mesenchyme, and that's via that EMT route. Now, this primary (laughs) mesenchyme can be reduced to form secondary epithelia by that same process of EMT. And some researchers speculate that that secondary epithelia can further differentiate to form other types of epithelial lineages and, of course, undergo subsequent EMT and then, therefore, generate the cells of connect tissue and also including astrocytes, adipocytes, chondrocytes, and muscle cells, just like I've been describing. So EMTs are reengaged in the context of inflammation and fibrosis. And they will represent then that type 2 EMT I've introduced. So unlike the type 1, type 2 EMTs are expressed over extended periods of time, and they will eventually destroy an affected organ if allowed to terminally differentiate. And that's when the primary inflammatory insult is not removed or attenuated by usually apoptosis or sometimes by a natural killer cell. So the final thing I want to say at this point is that secondary epithelia associated with many organ systems can ultimately transform into cancer cells. And those cancer cells later will undergo further EMT that will enable the programming to include invasion and metastasis. And that's going to represent the so-called type 3 EMTs. Okay. So you see why we're interested in these for the aging process. Now, some concepts. It's been suggested that a genotoxic induced uh, senescence associated secretory phenotype could contribute to the emergence of cancer stem like cells within a population of cells that have been already, say, irradiated or treated with a uh, chemotherapeutic like doxorubicin. So when you irradiate or daxorubicin treat multiple myeloma cells, you can provide a potential uh, increased frequency of this multiple myeloma relapse even after uh, the chemotherapy. So whether a senescent microenvironment could possibly promote the emergence of these cancer stem cells in epithelial tissues um, has been explored over the years. And so when you examine the impact, for example, of a telomere-driven senescent microenvironment on a tumorigenic potential cell lineage of, say, immortalized epithelial cells, you can already determine that they've undergone some kind of chromatin injury because of this telomere-driven process, right? We've talked about this already. So what data has accumulated over the years is that a prominent role of senescence is as a permissive microenvironment for the full transformation of these chromatin-injured cells, right? So notably, the progression of tumor capacity is likely associated with the manifestation of an enhanced stem cell property. And this is something that we've known now for quite a while. <clears throat> you can also show that SASP influences the plasticity even of the chromatin-injured cells, but not those cells that are um, telomere competent, but only those cells that are telomere or telomerase, incompetent. So you need both of those pathologies. So the result of all this discussion is that the proposition that telomere driven senescence in the stromal cell population stimulates the progression of chromatin injury, and therefore mutation, in the pre-malignant cell lineages, does indeed potentially lead to the acquisition of a stem-like, highly tumorigenic state. And that, therefore, would provide a mechanism that could explain the increased incidence of deadly carcinomas with, indeed, yes, advanced age. Okay, so this is how we put this all together. Now, I want you to keep that in mind that this research has been going on for some time senescence can lead to chromatin damage, and chromatin damage cells, if they are telomere or telomerase compromised, can then end up becoming carcinoma. So the way to look at this is increasingly recognized that the emergence of a full-blown aggressive carcinoma that we observe in the elderly population is at least partially the result of many complex interactions between what you could call intrinsic alterations, ones that are already embedded in the epithelial cells, in association with the extrinsic influence of the senescent stromal cell population. So there's communication between the two cell lineages within a tissue. So previous (laughs) studies have shown that senescent fibroblasts are indeed able to promote proliferation and tumorigenesis of various types of premalignant epithelial cells. So the characterization of those tumors ultimately um, pointed out that a senescent microenvironment could itself induce an epithelial mesenchymal transition. And this was later demonstrated to be a paracrine effect that we've been talking now for a couple of weeks about paracrine effect of the SASP. That is, you get a secretion of a large variety of cytokines, growth factors, and uh, matrix metalloenzymes of the protease uh, classification that are all expected to alter the surrounding microenvironment, therefore function in a paracrine modality. Okay. So What what we've been talking about is an impact of telomere-driven senescent microenvironment. And that is occurring on the tumorigenic potential of immortal epithelial cells, which have already gone through a telomerase-deficient chromatin injury process. So the data that's accumulated demonstrates that the prominent role of senescence as as a permissive microenvironment for the full transformation of these chromatin-injured or damaged cells when they are telomere or telomerase-incompetent. And so you can also notice the progression of the tumor capacity is associated with the direct manifestation of an enhanced stem-like property or characteristic. We can also say that SASP influences the plasticity Of chromatin-injured cells, but that the chromatin-injured cells alone will not pick up that plasticity unless telomerase or telomere damage is also part of that lineage. So ultimately, then the results support the notion that telomere-driven senescence in stromal cells will stimulate the progression of telomerase-deficient chromatin-injured premalignant cells toward the acquisition of a stemis-like, highly tumorigenic state, and that will provide a mechanistically plausible explanation for the increased incidence of deadly carcinomas with advancing age. So again, you start up with senescent-associated telomere shortening. You end up with a sin phenotype. It's a chromatin-injured phenotype. Then you end up with a SSP, okay, or a SASP phenotype, go through the EMT process, that's the epithelium mesenchymal transition, then you get a stem-like um, mesenchymal cell, and ultimately that can go directly into a carcinoma. So that's the sequence of events, okay? So. You might step away from this now, this short discussion we've gotten into so far, and ask a question. Isn't it possibly a paradox? And you know me, when I say paradox, I usually mean a pseudo paradox, right? Because if you just take it straight as a paradox, you could ask the question shouldn't senescence be the alternative to proliferation? And with senescence then in full play, Wouldn't that abrogate tumorigenesis? So corollaries to this is why does a complex senescent phenotype, particularly SASP, then evolve if the evolution or the mechanistic enhancement of that process leads to tumorigenesis anyways? So was SASP really a component of cell terminal differentiation generated during evolution of this cellular process necessarily involved in suppressing tumorigenesis? Well, one of the reasons you would not, you would argue against that is because you, you have apoptosis, right? And you have ferritosis. And either one of those processes is going to directly kill cell lineages without going through senescence. And indeed, strict apoptosis will not enhance or even involve inflammation or any kind of neighborhood tissue degeneration. So you have to ask the question, there must be beneficial effects then of cellular senescence and of the senescence associated secretory phenotype. And we've already kind of landed on this. We know what some of those most beneficial effects are because there, there is by no means a necessary transition to mesenchymal cell lineages when you end up with SAS. SAS just means the cell's no longer capable of dividing, which would prevent any damaged cells from replicating and therefore possibly mutate, uh, generating a mutated cellular population. So right there, you know that that's part of the answer. So it isn't really a paradox, it's a pseudo paradox, because once you make a senescent cell, However, many of those that do not go to an EMT, to an epithelium mesenchymal transition, for example, are going to be cells that are going to be limited then because they will not uh, subsequently divide. If they'll subsequently divide, you're not going to carry a mutation forward that can lead to a tumorigenic event. See? So I, th- I, think, I think we need to bring that up anyway. So more details here. Interleukin-6 and 8 would reinforce a senescent growth arrest. Those are common cytokines. And that growth arrest can be caused by oncogenic forms of two other really important genes. Those would be RAS and BRAF. We've talked about these in the past. So, in mouse cells, at least, the SAS factor plasminogen activator inhibitor one will in reinforce actually a replicative senescence. So SAS components appear to help establish senescent growth arrest within the neighborhood of those cell lineages, rather than maintain the arrest once it is fully established. So you establish the senescence, but not necessarily maintain it. So the pro-inflammatory nature of the SASP allows the senescent cell to attract, yes, immune cell lineages, And that includes, of course, the destructive leukocytes uh, and lymphocytes of the innate and adaptive immune process, respectively. So you see, this is yet another reason why it's not a paradox at all, because we get this attraction of immune cells, which will kill those uh, damaged cells, those senescing cells, you see. So one function of the entire immune system is, of course, killing and clearing all the senescent cells that end up in that population. And another function appears to be the stimulation of that local immune reaction, and that's going to possibly eliminate any oncogene-expressing cells, along with the just uh, regular telomerase-deficient, chromatin-damaged cells. So even the ones that are expressing oncogenes would go along with that degradation pathway once you trigger The immune response, right? So, in addition to suppressing tumorigenesis by implementing a cell autonomous growth arrest, which is what's happening here from the SASP, senescent cells will suppress cancer non autonomously. And they do so by stimulating the immune system to target oncogene expressing pre malignant or, in fact, fully malignant cells. So among the cells that participate in the clearance of, the, of all those senescent cells can include natural killer cell lineages, of course, macrophages, and even just some part, T-cells. Okay. So you get pro- and anti-tumorogenic effects of senescence-associated inflammation. Senescence-associated inflammation then can affect the tumor cells both negatively and unfortunately positively. We've just been saying tumor resident senescent cells can induce secrete the senescence maintenance both negatively and positively by generating the correct repertoire of chemokines and cytokines, which ones, such things for in the chemokine family of CCL1, 2, and 5, and of the cytokine families interleukin-6, 8, 1, 1 1-beta, and then the EGF, HGF, and the amphiregulin proteins, okay? So we've named now, I think, most of the ones we need to be concerned about. Interleukin-1, 6, you also get a leukin-8, I think I've mentioned that already, and that will all propagate a senescence um, response to the non-senescent tumor cells, and it should eliminate them. So the senescent cells secrete the chemokines, and they recruit, because of their chemokines, so they recruit cytotoxic T-lymphocytes. And the way they do that is they recruit the cytotoxic T-lymphocyte-associated protein, or the alpha-programmed cell death protein 1, which is the PD-1. And that's how you can generate then a massive cell death lineage, right? So senescent cells can secrete tumor growth factors, as we've said, as part of that uh, senescent inflammatory response, which is, by the way, has an acronym. It's called SIR, S-I-R. And so, for example, tumor necrosis factor alpha is is one of those major growth factors. You can also get a senescence-associated secretory phenotype that we've been talking a great deal about. And an example of that is a petocyte growth factor, or HGF and the epidermal growth factor, EGF, and as I've already mentioned several times, the amphiregulin pathway. All of those can be suppressed, however, by specific blocking reagents, and these include antibodies such as anti-TNF and anti-HGF, or indeed even by non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as uh, the ibuprofen family. That will also suppress to some degree this senescence inflammatory response or the SIR response. Okay, This all comes from a trends in immunology paper from 2015. Don't worry, I'll put it in the show notes. So here's some summary points. I think we're at this <laughs> junction, and I want to get these through. Let me check my time here. Oh, yeah, we're doing fine. All right, summary points. Aging is characterized by a number of phenotypes and diseases, and a lot of those are thought to derive from a few basic aging processes. So cellular senescence is indeed a stress response, and at least in early stages of life will will suppress cancer. But it may be a basic aging process further downstream temporally that could ultimately drive aging phenotypes and even age-related pathology, for example, neurodegeneration later in life. So senescent cells accumulate with age in many vertebrate tissues, and they're present at sites of age-related pathology. And which, which kinds of pathology? Both degenerative, as I said, and also, unfortunately, too, the hyperplastic so the pre-tumorogenic, right? So senescent cells express this SASP, which entails the robust secretion of numerous pro-inflammatory cytokines, but also included in that secretion are chemokines, growth factors, and indeed those matrix metalloproteases, which could lead then to an opening up of the basement membrane and allowing for, yeah, tumorigenesis. So the SASP has both a deleterious and a beneficial effect, hence it's not a paradox. It's only contrarian, and contrarians are not contradictions, therefore there's no paradox. So each of those effects depends on, um, ultimately, the physiological context of what this is happening. Deleterious effects in essence cells in the SASP, of course, include creating local, and yes, most likely systemic inflammatory responses, which disrupt normal tissue structure and function and fuel late life and recurrent cancer when this transition occurs to the mesenchymal phase. The beneficial effects of the senescent cells, let's not forget, and even the SASP itself includes the reinforcing of the tumor suppressive growth arrest the stimulation of the immune clearance of those senescent cells once they're dead and optimizing, of course, the repair of damaged tissues through the DDR mechanism that we talked about a couple of the lectures ago. So the transient presence of senescent cells may be beneficial, but if you think about, if you think through logically, the chronic presence of senescent cells, which shouldn't occur but can occur in advanced aging, may actually become deleterious and, in fact, in fact, invoke a lot of the tissue damage you see. So I'm going to stop here because I want to, there's a couple of other really key signatory points I want to make about this, this cell lineage descriptions. And we're almost at the point where I'm going to go back to doing the video lecture. Um, doing these audios, again, I'm trying to build up a compendium of information so that I can just briefly mention during the video lecture a a whole previous audio lecture so that we can come to grips with a a full, hopefully um, florid and well-explained dialectical event ontology of the aging process with the accumulation of everything we've been talking about for the last several months. So I told you we were going to get this finished in summer, and we're steamrolling towards that event horizon. So uh, again, Dr. Dan Guerra on the eve of uh, my nation's birthday, Independence Day. This is the 3rd of July, and the year is 2021. And so this is me saying bye for now.